Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your other host, Dave. And joining us today, we have special guest Ben Butina of Department 12, an IO Psychology podcast. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Great to be on. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. Thanks a lot for, for coming on. And Ben is joining us here today to talk about Minute 29. So the summary for Minute 29 is Phil sees a psychiatrist who isn't quite common with the situation Phil has and recommends he visits tomorrow. Phil says without so many words that that's not going to work. Phil then heads to the bowling alley to drink some coffee. Yeah. So this is, this is another, another fun minute uh, following up on Phil's uh, Phil's visit to the neurologist yesterday, following up on the recommendation to visit a psychiatrist and we get we get the the, the small town Punxsutawney psychiatrist. I'm, I, I get the impression that these are these are you know simple country folk with simple country problems. Not a lot of people coming in with with Phil Connor type complaints. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Phil has is um, it's unusual. <laughs> it would be unusual for anybody. Um, so I'll give you a little of my background. I'm, I'm an IO psychologist. That means I'm a workplace psychologist, but I have a background in uh, clinical mental health, spent some time working in a crisis mental health center. So like if somebody came to me and, and this is the problem that they had, I, I hopefully wouldn't be quite as incompetent <laughs> as the psychiatrist is, but it's weird in <laughs> two ways. One is the particular delusion that he has of being stuck in a single day that just doesn't happen. I mean, you don't, you don't really, you know, that's not a typical delusion to have, but, but more importantly, to just have that one delusional belief and then no other symptoms mm-hmm. at all. You know, like Phil's doesn't seem to be, you know, he's up distressed obviously, but he doesn't seem to have, you know, depression. His, his speaking is, is well organized. You know, his affect is fine. It like, it just, it wouldn't be um, a typical thing that you see as a psychiatrist. So even if you were a big town psychiatrist, you'd probably react a little bit like like this guy does. I just love this guy and his delivery. Yeah, the very deadpan, very flat. Though I, I guess that's part of part of the job. You can't, you don't get too <laughs> emotional. You can't react too much. You just need to be a sounding board for what the other person is saying. Yeah, I mean, you can't flip out. Um, but you know, you also shouldn't be as as clearly nervous as this psychiatrist is. But it it just plays perfectly for laughs because you can tell he's in so far over his head and he doesn't know what to do. Well, yeah, because I wonder if if part of this is, um, like he just doesn't expect much when he talks about how this is, you know, this is kind of outside of his regular practice. That when you know when he decided to to settle down and, and build his practice in Punxsutawney. Like he probably thought, well, yeah, I'll have, you know, couples that aren't getting along or maybe they have problems with their kids and that kind of thing, or, you know, not, not crazy stuff. And, and this is kind of, yeah. well, I don't know if 
maybe crazy isn't the politically correct or the, or the modern, I'll say the modern yeah. term for this situation. No, it, it's definitely not. But I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> first of all, it would be super, super weird for somebody to be a psychiatrist in a small town like this and actually do talk therapy the way that this psychiatrist mm-hmm. obviously does, because more often than not, if you're a medical doctor and that's what a psychiatrist is, the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist is a psychiatrist goes to med school is they're almost always just writing mm-hmm. prescriptions. So this is like a movie psychiatrist and you can tell because he's got them laying down on the couch, <laughs> you know, that, that also never really happens. But what I love about this movie is that it has him laying on the couch, but instead of it being like this, you know, Woody Allen, Manhattan, fancy psychiatrist's office, it's just like this crappy, like Goodwill looking, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. couch and he's got the pillow that looks like it's from like somebody's grandmother's house. And, uh, yeah. So I, I don't think, um, I don't think somebody that, that worked in Punxsutawney would actually be shocked to see serious mental illness. So it's, it's not like you just see that in a big city somewhere, but I, I re- recognize what they're doing. This isn't the real Punxsutawney. This is the movie Punxsutawney. And I think they did that really well. Cause I've, you know, I live not too far from Punxsutawney. I'm like, a third of the way between Pittsburgh and Punxsy. And, you know, have you had, have you had guests that have actually been there before? No. Yeah. Not for the groundhog festival, but I've been there and through there a bunch of times. And, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> if you go there with this movie clanging around in your head, you will be very disoriented because it doesn't <clears throat> look like this. It doesn't really feel like this. And I get why they're doing that. You know, it, they want to make it a, a mythical, almost small town, American town. So it doesn't really have anything like regional, you know, nobody really has like the Western Pennsylvania accent. Uh, they're not really eating like Western Pennsylvania food or anything like that. And I think it works better that way because then it's like, Hey, whatever little town that, that you know of in, you know, New Jersey or Illinois or Idaho or wherever you're from, you can imagine it being the place in the, in the story. Just, just from my curiosity, what is the Western Pennsylvania food? Oh, so a lot of people that settled here were from Eastern Europeans, like my last name, why it's so hard to pronounce is it's, it's a Croatian thing. So you get a lot of like, um, uh, pierogies, halushki, halupki, uh, <laughs> just Eastern European type food, um, German type food, mm-hmm. some of it German. Um, I don't think blood sausage is really a thing <laughs> here. I was like, what the hell is blood sausage? But I'm sure somebody eats it. But, and you know, the accent is, it would be more like, um, well, I guess maybe we can get into that in the next minute because the two guys are, are Gus and, and uh, I forget what the two guys are in the next one, but their their accents are like Canadian. <laughs> Gus and Ralph, yeah. Yeah, Gus and Ralph. Yeah, and I think those the both those actors are Canadian. And um, yeah, they didn't really <laughs> work too hard on that. So I, I kind of imagine, I wonder if this is, perhaps this guy is attached to the hospital. This may be like the same hospital that the neurologist was in. Yeah. This is just a room down the hall uh, where he set up. Um, and it's interesting. I just want to make a, a, a quick note about the couch. So I, I did a little bit of research on kind of the history of the therapist couch and that sort of setup. Oh. I did research for another podcast. And uh, so it was interesting. So this was something, I don't know if, if Freud started it, but he was a, a big fan of it. And mainly mm-hmm. because he didn't want to be watched yeah. while he was working, and so if you're just if you're just sitting across the table talking with someone, they're kind of looking at you the <laughs> whole time. And Freud didn't want his patients 
kind of observing him while he was observing them. So this kind of setup um, is, yeah. is not, you know, unheard of where Phil's lying facing one direction and, and the doctor is behind him. And then it kind of evolved to um, kind of a, a, a backward repurposing to say, well, since the, the patient doesn't see the doctor, they're going to be more free to, uh, you know, to open up and talk and they'll be less self-conscious. They won't feel observed, but I still kind of think a lot of the purpose is because it's the, uh, the doctor that doesn't want to be observed. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Cause maybe Freud was making faces <laughs> like this guy. Wanted to yeah. See yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other reason that he originally set it up that way, you know, you're absolutely right. Part of it was about giving the, the patient the, the freedom to open up. But another part of it was this idea called transference, which is the idea that the patient or the client, whatever we want to call them, is going to like transfer their feelings about some other authority figure, mm -hmm. usually their dad, to the doctor. And when you're not looking directly at the doctor, then it's easier to do that. Um, I don't think I really buy a transference. Um, Freud wasn't super scientific in what he was doing, but um, I, I get that when you watch something like this on a TV show or a movie, you know, maybe the Sopranos kind of turned the corner, but it's like you've got to show that couch because that couch means psychiatry. Yeah, right. People kind of uh, expect it. I guess it's like a trope at, at this point. Yeah. yeah. Now, one one thing I I I wonder about Phil and and his condition is. Like he knows something's going wrong. Like he knows this isn't a normal situation that he's in. And is that, I always think that, I, I think that's a, an indication of health. Like people that are really off the rails, they don't, people that are doing abnormal things don't generally realize they're doing ab abnormal. Like that's the problem. Like if you like, hey, I'm going to be crazy this weekend and and be crazy, like, well, you know, there's one thing of like, okay, why are you deciding to do abnormal things? But at least you recognize you're going crazy for the weekend. Whereas if you're doing crazy things and you don't realize the craziness about them, that's a problem. Now, I'm totally unschooled, uneducated. This is my my layman's feeling. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Am I right in any way? Just that the fact that Phil realizes that something kind of unusual is happening is that just a is that a good sign for his sanity yeah it's a good sign for his sanity and it would mean that he is open to doing some what we might call like reality testing so if the psychiatrist did establish mm -hmm. you know a good working relationship with him we call yeah. it a therapeutic alliance then then he'd be able to introduce maybe some reality testing things to say okay let's gather some evidence to find out whether what you're experiencing is true or not and if he was at least open to the idea that mm, something's weirds going on here, then he'd be willing to try that. But you are onto something when you say that, you know, if a delusion is persuasive enough, um, you, know, you, you really believe it. Um, and when other people try to talk you out of it, it's, you know, it takes a long time to build up a relationship until you could trust somebody enough to believe that they have your best interest at heart when they say, you know what, maybe this isn't real. Let's, let's check it out. A good example I always use is another one that you see on TV a lot is the guy with the tinfoil hat, you know, because he thinks the alien is, is reading his thoughts or the government's reading his thoughts. Well, if you actually believed that the aliens were reading your thoughts, then putting tinfoil on your head to block it wouldn't mm -hmm. be crazy. It would actually be sane. It would be totally consistent for you to do that because you really believed that the aliens were reading your thoughts. Um, Phil 
you know, he isn't, uh, he doesn't have a serious mental disorder and we know that as the audience. Um, so the fact that he's sort of tripping up the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist can't make heads or tails of it, it makes sense because it's not really a mental disorder. This is really happening at least, yeah. you know, in the universe of this. Right. In, in, in Phil's world. And we see a little, we're going to, we see this a little bit later when, well, he's already tried to confide in Rita once and she didn't, you know, naturally she doesn't understand or, or, you yeah. know, doesn't understand what he's saying any more than this guy does and is even less inclined to take him seriously because she she has met Phil before. She knows what kind of um, what kind of a person he is. Um, but we see later, for example, the scene where he walks Rita through the diner and he knows everything about the waiter, waitress and the waiter and the other patrons. And he's trying to demonstrate like the situation. And he like he's 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 showing very sane behavior because he's not because even though he starts off saying I'm a god because I know all these things, he still he kind of admits like I'm not that smart. I shouldn't know this. I shouldn't know everything about all these people. I shouldn't know everything yeah. about this town. Like he still has that recognition of this is, you know, this is unusual to say the least. And I'm a little bit surprised that he retains that because my experience is, is that people get used to their surroundings. That something that starts off as unusual or noteworthy usually becomes becomes normal, if not rote. That if you know you, you mm-hmm. wonder, you see these people that are in. Um, you know, from the outside, it may look like an extreme relationship. Either it's a romantic partner or it's a dysfunctional workplace. It's some kind of odd situation, but it's, well, if you're in this situation long enough, you get used to it and it becomes normal and you, you know, people can adapt to craziness for, for, I don't, for lack of a better word in my vocabulary, just they get used to the craziness and Phil never Mm -hmm. seems, he works with it. Like he, he, he kind of tinkers with the process, kind of pushes the boundaries in the beginning to see what can I do? What, what am I going to, what can I get away with? And the answer to that turns out to be whatever you can do in one day, but he he never, and he kind of, you know, he gets used to it, but he, in the end, again, he still recognizes in the end, this is a weird situation. And like, even when he's saying I'm a God, he doesn't really believe he's a God. He just somehow knows all this stuff because he's been around. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you think that over time, and especially because we're talking about like 10,000 years or whatever long the original script was, you mm-hmm. feel like you think that it should become his normal, however weird it seems to us as the audience. If he's been doing it long enough, it shouldn't even strike him as odd anymore. It's just, hey, this is what life is. I get up every day. It's yeah. the same day. Well, because I kind of wonder, like at some point, and, and maybe, you know, anything we conjecture, you could always come back and say, well, it, it happened. We just didn't see it. They just cut cut that part out. Like, I just wondered, was there a phase where he spends a thousand years where like, why even bother like getting dressed? Why We never see a scene where he's walking around town in his pajamas, like just knowing that the day's going to reset. No one's going to remember whatever you do. I mean, we get, I think the only hint of that in what I consider the extreme, I mean, we see him, he's robbing a bank and, and doing other stuff. But I think the only, the only thing that really, it seems extreme in, in my mind is 
the day when he punches Ned. When Ned just, you know, first thing in the morning, Ned recognizes him. He comes up on the street and then he just decks him. Um, that's kind of the most extreme thing. Well, other than, and then there's the the, the suicide stuff. I mean, other, the most extreme yeah. thing that he does to someone else, uh, you know, outside of the, 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 the parts where he attempts suicide a few times. So I guess we can consider that extreme. But in terms of acting out yeah. towards other people, there's just that one time, and I'm like, "Well, gee, I, you know, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would hold up as well in the yeah, same I think situation." That, you know, they don't show him. Yeah, they don't show him doing anything that horrible, I guess. But what they do show him doing an awful lot is just using other people, which is not so different than what he was like before he got trapped in this time loop, right? I mean, he was, you know, call him a narcissist, call him whatever you want. I don't think he was like a, a super villain or anything. He was just sort of a regular <laughs> asshole. And he just figured out how to do that more efficiently in this world. But he's not like, oh, now that I know I can do anything, I'm going to, you know, blow up the library or kill a bunch of people. It's more like, no, I'm just going to be selfish and have my needs met and use other people and it'll be way easier than it usually is because it's never going to catch up with me. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point about, you don't see this long period where he's walking around in his pajamas where it becomes totally disengaged. You would expect that. I mean, I, I think I would, mm -hmm. it would just be like, what the hell's the point of any of this? I mean, the suicide you could argue was, you know, maybe his attempt to escape it or to try to get himself out of the loop. But I would expect just really long periods of depression to kick in, but maybe that doesn't make my, for the best movie. So. My, hold on, hold on. I want to. I got to ask yeah. questions now. Go, I've, been, go. I've been patiently waiting here. Go ahead, Dave. I want to ask: Is there any way? <laughs> see, the problem is it's it's one session and it's going to repeat, and he's not going to remember. So that's the that's the problem. My I, my theory here is that is there any way this psychiatrist could direct Phil along the theory of try to be a a better person like is there any way knowing what we know how this movie the rules of why he's trapped here i'm trying to think like is there any way in one session the psychiatrist could figure out this idea hmm. of like let's like like walk me through your job walk me through what aggravates you every time you repeat these days and and then try to get filled it do like, hey, Phil, try this next time. Do one nice act. And then the next time, try two nice mm -hmm. acts. I mean, as I said, it's one session. That's the trick. And this guy's clearly overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. He, you know, it's pretty clear from the way that they present the scene that this psychiatrist doesn't know as much about the mechanics of this mm -hmm. as we do as the audience, mm -hmm. right? So we we catch him in the middle of the, the session or whatever, but he doesn't even realize how inappropriate it is to suggest that they meet again, because he doesn't realize that the mechanics of Phil's delusion or what would be from his perspective, Phil's delusion is that he doesn't feel like there is a tomorrow. You know, as far as he knows, he, he Phil could just be saying like, well, I have the same day over and over again in the same way that, that, you know, Gus talks about it in the next minute. Um, there's a lot that this psychiatrist doesn't know, but could he get there? Maybe. Would he have said something like that? I don't think it's likely. And the reason is that most mental health professionals are not really about they're not really about trying to help you become a better person or to live a good life. They're trying to take you from a negative state into like a neutral state. So they're trying to take you from like a negative 10 to a zero. They're not trying to help you get from a zero to a 10. And I think that's what this movie is really about. It's about the move from, um, you know, maybe negative five up to positive nine or positive 10. Uh, most mental health uh, professionals aren't really 
they would look at that as more like a philosophical issue. Not all of them, but okay, I, I think it's unlikely. Right. Um, yeah, the only, well, I, the only thing I could say about the the scene is uh, Kleenexes with tissues. That makes sense. People get emotional. Mm-hmm. But the other one was ashtrays, and I feel like maybe that's what he's been handling. Maybe his maybe yeah his his most of his job <laughs> is these is the alcoholic that he has, and maybe just a lot of yeah work stress of and so he has two ashtrays in the room. Yeah. Um, for maybe you know for a lot of people who smoke, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe ones for him too. We don't know. <laughs> and this is '93 too, so there's a lot more indoor smoking going on. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that that dates the movie is the the ashtrays, and um, the other thing that that dates the movie is about what um, about 40 seconds in is where I've got it framed, but when or where I've got the minute paused, but when they pull back and they show when we can see kind of Phil on the couch with the, the doctor sitting next to him and we see the, the book on the table is the body has a head by Gustav Eckstein. I think um, that, that book was published in 1970. So I hope if, if it's there, it's maybe just, you know, something for the patient to flip through while, you know, maybe if the doctor has to take some notes or take a call or gets, you know, if there's some downtime and it kind of gives the patient just something to read, kind of just waiting room material. I hope that's not, you know, what what the what this doctor is working off of, because I think even by the mm. early 90s, that was an out of date. text. I, I, mean, I kind of wonder, like, yeah. you know, did the, the, the storytellers put that there for a reason? Because I don't know much about that book. Um, I, I kind of wonder what the the message of that book is and if it's there for a reason. I, I wonder too about the picture on the wall behind the psychiatrist's head because that's in focus through mm-hmm. several seconds of this scene. And if I'm supposed to know what that picture is, I don't. It, you know, it looks like a 19th century picture. It could be something out of like a psych textbook or something, but I don't know what that is. And it's like, boy, if I was smarter, I'd <laughs> yeah, know what that is. I don't know. So there's, a, there's like it's a, a red house and some trees. And then there's another picture there's a woman. It's almost like a sketch or a pencil sketch yeah. that you can see. Oh, the, the one yeah, that you can see on the the shelf over the doctor's shoulder. Yeah, I don't know if we're supposed to, or if they were just. <laughs> I, if it, I I still imagine it's his mother or his grandmother, and this office is connected to her house. <laughs> okay, that's what I imagine. Yeah, see, I'm kind of with Dave on that one because Sean, you said earlier you imagine this just being down the hall from the neurologist, and it could be, but I always imagine it as being like. Like in that show, um, I don't know whether it was Family Ties or one of those 80s sitcoms, but the dad was a psychiatrist and the office was connected to the house. And so <laughs> how I imagine this is like off of this guy's house. But it's funnier to yeah. think that it's his mom's house. This is like their basement with the wood paneling and stuff on the walls. <laughs> I would explain yeah. the couch. <laughs> the carpet looks like – it looks like in the – yeah, back under the chair. It does look like there's like, I don't know, dust mites or something. Like something with the carpet <laughs> yeah. looks kind of unkempt. <laughs> yeah. I mean they, they – they do a good job of showing unkemptness yeah. in this movie, I would say. I mean, the bed and breakfast mm-hmm. that he stays in is really nice. I feel like it's very nice despite the uh, the lack of hot water. But, you know, a lot of the places that they're showing, like the the diner and, you know, they're, they're not bad looking. But for a movie, they're like, you know, they're gritty and you know, small town yeah. kind of shabby looking. Oh, so one thing I was thinking, going back to something you mm-hmm. said, uh, Dave, a question you had about you know, what could he do? What could um, this psychiatrist do for Phil? And I'm guessing not much in the span of an hour, 
But I wonder if, if this could have been kind of play out the way the piano lessons did. Because again, like what could a piano teacher really teach you in mm-hmm. one hour? Yeah. But if you keep going back one and, and you know, have that same hour, but you do it 10,000 times, well, eventually you become maybe not a great yeah. pianist, but you can at least play two songs really well. <laughs> so yeah. maybe if he, if he kept going back I, I thought of, and had this first hour over and I over again. I thought about that too, but I think the, the trick is, the reason it works for piano is that you can show up for the piano teacher and she can very quickly assess his level of skill and pick up the ball mm-hmm. and run with it from there. Whereas if you show up to a psychiatrist, and as far as the psychiatrist knows, it's your first session and you just drop this ball, you know, hey, you know, I have been had this delusion that I've been living in the same day and I'm really stressed out about it, but I've been dealing with it for the last 5,000 years. Like <laughs> he would have to restart yeah. the assessment process all over again every single time. So again, maybe that happened and it happened off screen, but I don't think that would work. And I think maybe, maybe Phil gets there himself. Maybe he realizes that he's not dealing with, you know, an A plus <laughs> psychiatrist here. And so part of what he's doing and reading in the library is figuring some of this stuff out on his own. Yeah. If the psychiatrist, you know, which would rather than, yeah, rather than miss, you know, he, he did, he messed up when he said, let's meet tomorrow, but he doesn't give him any advice of how they can yeah. try to pick up. Yeah, it's like the psychi- It's almost kind of like a sci-fi movie where the psychiatrist be have to be like, "You have to say these things to me, and I'll know that I only I was the only one who would would have given you this information." The test, or well, yeah, you know, some kind of code word or something. Mm. Yeah, and it's like like psychiatrist would be like, you know, my dog that died when I was three was named Scruffles. You'll have to say that, and I'll believe you, and then we can pick it back up or something. That's yeah. that's the only way. Um, that would be great in a movie. <laughs> if You know, as somebody that worked as a therapist, if somebody showed up one day and said, you know, you're going to remember, I was supposed to tell you that your dog Tyler had died. You know, I would think that this was a person <laughs> who was dangerous, who had looked into my background and was stalking me, m- might hurt me and mm-hmm. my family. Like, again, it, I don't want to get too detailed about it because it, it has to make sense in the world of this movie, right? Not like, yeah. be like if it was me, but yeah, that would make a great, that would make a great movie premise on its own. I think like I was just about to say, yeah, didn't Emily Blunt do that to, yeah, to Tom Cruise in edge of tomorrow. I mean, she's not a psychiatrist, but she was they, like, yeah, you're, I'm not going to know you. You have to convince me that we know each other. Yeah. They do a similar thing in the good place too, which is a show on, I think NBC, but I don't want to give it away. Cause it's uh, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. There's a twist in there that I don't want to give away, but they use a, a similar premise there. So, but yeah, but that's the thing is this guy's not experienced enough to even <laughs> think on the level that Phil is at right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And I did make a, a note of that line that, yeah. you know, how's tomorrow for you, which just kind of, just kind of like the, the punchline <laughs> to how much this guy isn't getting it. Like even, you know, if he, if he just came out with, oh, well, you know, can, you know, after saying, well, I think we should meet again. If he had said like, oh, well, let's meet again today or let's meet later today, then it would be like, oh, this guy's kind of, he's hip, he's with it, he's hes kind of on the same vibe, yeah. he's, he's connected with Phil. But then just to finish up with that is just, all right, he he's listening, but he hasn't really heard. Yeah, because Phil nods, like, he's like, oh, wow, this guy's not going to try to yeah. pass the buck on me. He's actually going to, but yeah, that's when he messes up, and it's like, all right, just, <laughs> you know, he just hits himself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy seems scared. Like he, he's not asking any questions to find. Out. I mean, I don't care whether you're a psychiatrist or not. If somebody comes to you with this story, you got a lot of questions. Like, yeah, 
really? What's that like? What, like by the time you got to the end of that story, you would know whether that was a, a cool thing to say or not. Like you would say, can we meet on the third or the, do we, is it the second again? How do we want to do this? Like, but he's just so clearly this deer in the headlights and the actor. Um, the actor just does it really well. He portrays yeah. it very well. All right. So let's, let's move on. I mean, we could, we could talk about this psychiatrist all day apparently, but, uh, so let's move on as Phil moves on to, to the bowling alley. And, um, I'm going to bring up, so this is just quickly, or try to be quick about it. The first of the deleted scenes and where it might fit in. Um, there's a deleted scene on the Blu-ray, um, that would have happened much later, I, I assume, but it actually it shows Phil bowling a perfect game. He bowls 300 and like the crowd's yelling and he does the thing where he like he throws the ball and then just turns around and walks away. Doesn't even wait for it to, to hit because he knows it's going to be a strike. They were saving that for Kingpin. <laughs> oh, my God, dude, that oh, that would that was such a cool like montage shot. Of, yeah. Like him just doing, you know, dumb things like. Oh, I'm I'm bummed out. Like you don't have to show the whole thing, but just show like him roll the ball, walk away, everyone cheers. Like just like in this montage, I would have loved that. Um, yeah. So I just I just want to mention that because so there, yeah. At least for that deleted scene, we get the impression that Phil spends a lot of time in this bowling alley in uh yeah. in later I yeah. guess later the same day I'll say like in, or in later Groundhog Days. Um, but this, so what we actually see, this is probably his first visit or an early visit, and he's hanging out with what is it, uh, right. Gus and Ralph, who we met, we met in the diner earlier this week, I think, or an earlier minute, and he's describing a day that uh, a different sort of day. I don't know why. Did the coffee attract you? The coffee attracted me so well. Like I feel like going from the beginning of this movie, where Phil, you know. Gets the mm-hmm. coffee out of Mrs. Lancaster's bed breakfast, and the whole time he's just like, "Oh, I wish I had a cappuccino." And and then we had him at the diner, and he seemed to be enjoying the coffee. But I don't know why, for some reason, like I feel like he's he's really enjoying this cup of coffee here at the at the, at the bowling alley. Like this is like a nice solitude, and he knows he can talk to these guys now. Like it sounds like they're pa- he's 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 way past like try to insult them. He's just like. Man, maybe these guys actually can understand me. Yeah, I, I like that, I, and I think it's a really, uh, I think it's a really good point because I think I probably watched this a bunch of times before I made the connection that he was actually there <laughs> drinking coffee. Because who goes to a bowling alley and drinks coffee? You know, like it's probably not the best cup of coffee you've ever had. But there's another difference between '93 and the present day is that <laughs> I'm certain that you can go to Punxie right now. Punxie is what you call it you if you go. live near there, but <laughs> so I'm let you in on that that inside secret. But I'm sure you get there's a Starbucks. There's probably a bunch of places you can get fancy coffee. Wouldn't have been a big deal now, but back then that wouldn't have been an option. So here he is having his coffee with these two guys getting drunk in a bowling alley, which is also I think a great way to portray like this is a little podunk town where you know a couple of you know rednecks hang out in a bowling alley and get smashed. Yeah, this is the hot spot, the hot night spot uh, in Punxy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bowling alley. Um, so we don't get much. I want to leave. We, we we spend more time in the bowling alley tomorrow. So I don't want to. I want to save some stuff for for the next minute. Um, but so uh, so uh, Ben or Dave, anything else for? 
for a minute 29? Yeah, I, I, I actually like the idea. Let's push. We talked a lot about psychology today. Let's push the Virgin Island story to tomorrow. I actually would Okay, like yeah. It kind of starts, but we just get the first line. We get the rest of the story tomorrow. So, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that minute. I think that this next minute, uh, the tomorrow's uh, episode is going to be a really key point in this whole movie. All right. Good, good. So, all right. Now, Ben, we want to thank you for being on with us today. And so you definitely opened up our eyes to a lot of things because, like I said, we could have just made some jokes about the psychiatrist and moved on. But I think we did a really – you really helped us just kind of walk through a lot of steps of what, uh, you know, one would do or one would think in this situation. Um, And so if our listeners want to hear more about you, where can they go to find more about you? Uh, so I have a podcast. It's called Department 12. So if you do a search for Department 12, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll you'll find me. And uh, what I do is I interview other IO nerds like myself, and we talk about psychology at work. So if any of that is of interest to you, check it out. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, you so much for, for joining us. I I hope you can stick around for, for Minute 30. Definitely. I know, uh, I know Dave and I will be sticking around and, and listeners out there in, in podcast land, um, you stick around as well. And so that is it for us for today. Thank you for listening. And we will see you tomorrow. If there is one. Yeah, let's meet tomorrow. Tomorrow.